Hey boys, what's up you guys? Hey, I just wanted to say it is absolutely great hearing y'all back on the uh, back on the podcast, whatever you want to call it. I wanted to say radio there for a second, so yeah, maybe we'll do this radio style. Uh, so I'm a longtime listener, first time caller. My name's Clayton. Um, I am a Gemini and I am in Florida if anybody is interested. But no, I just want to say hey, it's great having y'all, you know, back in my ears again. Um, so I, it totally blanked on me that y'all were going back to the 80s. I saw it first, you know, I was like, all right, 95, yeah. And I was like, oh, this should be covering Mortal Kombat then. But hey, if it's 80s that we're going back to, I just uh, Googled it. There's a cheesy looking movie by the name of Death Ship. It stars George Kennedy and Nick Mancuso. I don't know crap about it, but I looked up the uh, thing and yeah, it's horrible. Later. Hey, Time Bandits, it's Kelsey. Just wanted to share a thought with you, which is that the first time I saw Battle Beyond the Stars, I thought the whole thing with the stellar converter was a big Star Wars Death Star ripoff, because it was. But uh, as we learned in Rise of Skywalker, apparently the Emperor was also a pretty big Battle Beyond the Stars fan, because his secret plan was to build a whole fleet of Sador ships. So uh, I guess the space fight movie snake eats its own space fight movie snake tail. Anyway, talk soon. podcast where every episode we go back in time 40 years to the year 1980 to discuss a a movie and some music from that year it's the ruby anniversary my name is greg will and i'm talking to casey lyons with the score babe uh the score is uh well i don't know i don't know what the score is i don't know what day it is Uh, (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of mysteries very good i'm also talking to dan gorman what's the day babe uh, what's the day, babe? Oh my God, I had a score. I don't know what day it is. Oh what day is man, it? <laughs> it's the Monday of the April sixth, I think. And that's uh, crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Hi. Oh, hi. Hello on the internet. On the internet again. Maybe we sound better this time. I think we do. I um, think so too. If you heard our Nightmare City episode, that was really fun. Yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> Oh my God! Um, yeah, we're leaning into the recording. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Why, why not? not? <laughs> <laughs> it was either this or fucking go crazy. So, <laughs> <sighs> what have you guys been doing? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot of fuck all. There's a lot of that. Watching things, mostly toddler maintenance. That's the that's the that's the jam. Yeah, I've been bathing and exercising and teaching children to read. It is rewarding. It is, yeah. Just, you know. Yeah, we had some progress with alphabet and writing and stuff that I felt amazingly awesome about. It was just she was like, "Wow, that's crazy! Look at that." I was, I was Casey and I had a little uh, FaceTime with our daughters uh, last week. Oh, that's awesome! Screaming and laughing because they can make their faces turn into things with the <laughs> yeah, like they're they're making their faces look like kitties and stuff. So every day we do a little backyard outdoor time to get Zoe, you know, running around, and she really likes Frozen a lot more than the movie. She likes just making me freeze when she screams Frozen at me, you know, and does like a thing with her hands. And so we were doing that while we were, while we were playing tag, and she kept freezing me. And then she told me, "You're frozen." But you're gonna fro- but make a face to be talking when I freeze you. And I'm like, okay. So she wanted me to be in a weird face. We finally settled on one. She's like, now you're gonna pe- pe- you're, pe- you're gonna be in a museum and people are gonna come look at you and think you're a statue. And I was like, oh, no, all right. And so then she turned around in a circle. And then now she's people at the museum. And she 
<laughs> she goes, hmm, she's looking at me like quizzically. She's like, hmm, ha, hmm, such a handsome man. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why she uh, is even aware of that term for anything. Uh, yeah, handsome man. Handsome man. <laughs> and which I'm not. I look terrible right now. I have a really unkempt beard. I think I was wearing pajamas and a coat. That's the, the outfit of a 20-year-old going out for a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Should we do our Before We Go Back in Times? We almost yeah. didn't last time. What a catchy... <laughs> title for this segment <laughs> uh, hey, you yes. guys want to do our before we goes back in time yeah yeah that who wants to go first uh i'll go first uh i've been watching a show i'm actually only two episodes in it's a show that i know both of you have seen and i talked to you a little bit on our chat about it but i've really been enjoying hunters uh originally i thought it was going to be about two fred dryers but uh, <laughs> yeah I'll never tire of that joke. But yeah, it's like in a lot of ways, like the dialogue is pretty terrible. And it's a little like, look at how stylish we're being. But man, it's just such a good time. And like, there's no better revenge than revenge on Nazis. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing better than watching Nazis get fucking murdered in horrible ways. So yeah, that really carries me through. Yeah, I I watched the first episode and had a real split reaction. I think we had talked about in the message thread about mm-hmm. like the first scene I of of the whole show, I was thinking, wow, this sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and, and and you're you're not necessarily wrong. Yeah. Because a lot like I don't like the main kid in it very much. There's a lot about it that's not appealing, but then there's a lot about it that is. I agree, like, yeah. Dylan Baker is phenomenal. Uh, I really enjoy him. I really enjoy. Uh, I think Pacino is doing a great job. Uh, I'm I'm a huge fan of of Saul Rubinek, so I love seeing him in anything. And then him paired up with Carol Kane, that's just a win. Yeah, it 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 had enough that I need to like I I I feel the need to continue watching it, but I just haven't. It it wasn't so good that I was like, I'm gonna do it right now. Yeah, like we <laughs> we were just kind of like fumbling around for something to watch because we're in the middle of uh, season five of Better Call Saul, and you know we have to kind of wait for each episode. But yeah, this this is just it's easy watching, and again, it's just a lot of fun revenge fantasies about killing horrible Nazis. <laughs> And also, Josh Radnor, who is uh, Bob Saget in How I Met Your Mother, he, I, I did not care for him one way or the other in How I Met Your Mother. I was not like a big watcher of that show or anything. And I was like, oh, here's just another sitcom cipher. But I find him very enjoyable on this show. I think he's, uh, uh, he does a great job. Well, speaking of revenge, the thing that I'm bringing to the table is a podcast, something that I enjoy checking in on when they release episodes. And it is called The Suspense is Killing Us. And it's a podcast from the States that does only, like, thrillers. So, like, they'll do episodes that are all kind of themed, like they did an episode called Bad Trips, where they talked about Dead Calm, Breakdown, and The Perfect Getaway. They'll do episodes, uh, they did one called Judgment Day, which was all Ashley Judd movies. (laughs) (laughs) See, they should have coupled that with Ashley Judd and Judd Nelson movies. Yeah. 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 And they did an episode about like Elmore Leonard adaptations like Stick 52 Pickup and Cat Chaser. And and it's uh, really funny and entertaining. And if it's not too weird, it it reminds me of like when when we were doing See You Next Wednesday, we tried really hard to be funny, but also have things to say about the movies. (laughs) And I feel like they're doing a similar thing where, you know, they're, they can be quite funny and they go on a lot of tangents, but at the same time, they also have insightful things to say about, uh, an often maligned genre of movies. So I really enjoy what they're doing. And as a bonus, a lot of these films sometimes have Dennis Miller in them and they, (laughs) anytime they do Dennis Miller, uh, movies, they, they all go into Dennis Miller impressions doing Millerisms. Sure. 
and I, it makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> that is a fun genre of comedy. They're just like hey, ripping that, on Dennis Miller. This is this is like when this did this bib, and they just like everything <laughs> ends in bib. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love. I c- cannot get enough of their impression of, <laughs> of Dennis Miller. Yeah. So the anyway. suspense is killing us. You can check it out at the suspense is killing us dot com. That's where all their podcasts go up. It's it's quite funny, and uh, I love I love those movies. So. I think I will. I've been uh, I've been looking for for new podcasts to listen to, because I got on this binge of like true crime podcasts. And then, you know, you you get to a certain point where you're just like, well, now I'm afraid of everybody. <laughs> so uh, I got to switch to later fare. Yeah, they th- their episodes are long. Similarly, like See You Next Wednesday, it reminds me of when we were getting up over two hours. <laughs> <laughs> so they're a little long, but and they go on tangents and stuff, but I generally find them quite amusing. Hey, Greg, what about you? I will. Uh, so I did watch uh, a, a, an oldie but a goodie. Um, that I hadn't seen since I watched it on late grade movies on city TV when I was a teenager. Is it two moon junction? (laughs) (laughs) Um, and Athena had never seen it. So we watched uh, class of 1984. Yeah. Which is a delightful Canadian made romp. Michael J. Fox is in it. Real young, really young, but not that young. I mean, it's, it's movies from 82, like, Back to the Future is in fucking three years. It's crazy. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the stuff that I kind of remembered about it kind of stuck out. But, like, you know, you know, crazy punk rockers in a high school kind of. Uh, and you got Roddy McDowell in there being unimpressed with everything. That's a good yeah. time. Does Roddy McDowell play one of the teenagers? I wish. <laughs> and, and the first remarkable thing about it is the soundtrack. It starts with a uh, an Alice Cooper song, which is, I, I listening to it, I'm like, I can't even believe this is Alice Cooper because it's so horrible. <laughs> I'm not an Alice Cooper fan, really. I, I, you know, I think he's neat or something, but I don't really I like listen so, to him. But yeah. I mean, this fucking song called "I Am the Future" it is fucking terrible. Please go listen to it. It is horrendous. Isn't there like a bunch of fear songs too? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was like kind of the you had to have some fear songs if you had a punk rock thing going on in the 80s. I enjoy somebody writing a song called I Am the Future. It's a bold claim for Mm. a terrible song. (laughs) (laughs) I'm the future. The future is terrible. The plot of this movie is there's a new teacher in a troubled inner city school. Like, you know, everyone's got switchblades and metal detectors at the door. One of those 80s, you know, schools going gone to hell movies and it's he's the new music teacher <laughs> you know he's gonna get right into everybody's fucking lives and i the whole time i'm watching i'm like you're the music teacher <laughs> what the fuck i don't understand and the one gang and they're selling drugs and nobody's doing anything to stop them and things that you know it, it's kind of going the way you think it's gonna go it does there's a thing that i don't remember being in these late night late great movies the city tv thing there's a it gets super fucking dark <laughs> yeah it, it i i always forgot I, I watched this once with Emma and it was like around Christmas and I was like, whoa, wrong, wrong movie to pick. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. It rules, but yeah, it gets bad. There's a, yeah, there's a sexual assault scene that's very horrible. So that's a bummer. (laughs) Then anyway, the movie continues on. And the guy, the guy is, uh, he's been messing about with stuff and threatening the kids and this and that. And, uh, the gang kids. And uh, he's going to, but he wants to, he's also trying really hard to put on this big concert. And right before he's going to start the concert, he finds out, you know, what's happened to his wife. And so he goes after the kids. They're all in the school. And then he goes around and like one by one kills them all. In horrifying ways. Like with a, with a table saw, (laughs) all kinds of shit. And all of them. And then the final one, the final kid dies by, sorry for the spoiler here, but they hung from a rope and thrown through ceiling windows in like in lands in the middle of the auditorium where his concert is going on yeah and dangling from up there dead and bloodied and then it shows him up on the roof like ooh, and his wife's there too and she's like and then the movie ends with some print on the screen that says he was not charged because no one saw anything happen. <laughs> this is a wildly different movie than I was initially picturing. I was picturing like a lean on me kind of. Uh... No, no. It. You think what I like about the movie a lot is 
they start to like pepper in that stuff. Like the Timothy Van Patten character, he's the leader of the gang. There's a scene where he like sits down and on at a piano and plays like a beautiful, gorgeous song, and you think, oh. He's he's musically talented. They're gonna figure this out, and it's never brought up again. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. I like Timothy Van Patten in it. He's fun, weird eighties. Like I think they're like they wanted to have like some commentary on how the the cops and the school system were turning a blind eye to the kids dealing drugs and all this shit. So when he murders them, they're turning a blind eye to that. But I'm like, this wording doesn't work out. You can't end that hard when he's literally covered in the blood of the students. He's been tormenting <laughs> since he came to this school. They're all dead inside the school. <laughs> like, anyway. <laughs> wow. It's, uh, it's, it's worth your time. to see this movie. And then, uh, and then watch Class of 1999. Wicked. So Hunters and The Suspense is Killing Us and Class of 1984. We're all thankful for these things in 2000. And twenty. How how are we going back in time? I think we'll uh, I think we'll uh, we'll dial up a little Bill and Ted phone booth action. Nice. Beep boop 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 beep boop boop boop. Boop. <laughs> what? We're in nineteen eighty. Oh, again. Yeah, welcome. You can smell it. June 20th. June. Ah, oh, summertime. Nice. Yeah. Summer, summertime, summer films. <laughs> uh, summer yeah. game, summer bad. <laughs> well, here we are in uh, June of 1980. We could have seen lots of things in the theater. We could have, you know, we could have seen... Uh, Urban Cowboy. <laughs> yeah, Bronco Billy. Happy oh. Hooker Goes Hollywood. This is a terrible month. Loose Brothers. <laughs> The Blues Brothers in June? Yeah, June 17th. And Brew Baker, which I've never seen. No, me either. Roadie. Holy Moses. What's going on with this month? Anyway. Roadie. Well, considering all of this garbage, that's obviously why we decided to see uh, the Blue Lagoon. A wooden ship. Fire! A fire at sea. Up you go. And two young children are cast adrift. Fortune washes them ashore on a fertile isle. But fate deserts them, and they are left utterly alone. The years passed, but no ship ever did. Yet the boy and the girl grew strong and tall and beautiful, raising themselves on instinct in the bounty of their lost paradise. There were mysteries at work here, the mystery of desire. Columbia Pictures presents a sensuous story of natural love, starring Brooke Shields and introducing Christopher Atkins, Blue Lagoon. A Kleisler special. Notorious movie. This movie is interesting because it's a movie that was so big. It made like almost $60 million on a $4.5 million budget. Was such a touchpoint sort of cultural reference thing. But you also like, no one cares about it anymore. It's like completely, no one ever talks about it. <laughs> Here's my question about this movie. Back in the 19, you know, late 70s, I guess, and early 80s, and then on into the 80s, there was a big, like, erotic you know a certain amount of eroticism in a movie was like cool people love that is this supposed to be an erotic movie well that's the part of the problem with this movie <laughs> that's a big problem if it's supposed if it's not supposed to be a sweet look at the blossoming of children which <laughs> doesn't need to be a film anyway then there's a lot of problems with this movie. If you look at the poster, it says the director of Greece brings to screen a sensual story of natural love. When when their loves happens, it is as natural as the sea and as powerful. So I feel like, you know, it's maybe not supposed to be erotic erotic but it's definitely supposed to be like a sensual love story of you know that's not th all that different like yeah you know if i told you i was gonna if i if i gave you the option that i was gonna give you an erotic massage or a sensual massage i don't think you'd want either of them because both of them imply almost the same thing yeah yeah and <laughs> and if you read reviews at the time like roger ebert he's like listen everyone's here waiting to see when they have sex <laughs> and you know one of them's underage and you know like, other cousins yeah way <laughs> underage <laughs> yeah uh, i found this movie being like two long stretches of anxiety 
the first long stretch of anxiety is with you, when you realize that they're going to be stuck on the island with the uh, big, sweaty, drunken porno man. <laughs> <laughs> I like that they set up that he's a porno guy because that that can't be for any other reason than to be like, whoa. Their meat cute is he they found his porn and so he's going to beat them. <laughs> yeah, like he literally wants to... <laughs> To beat up some children. <laughs> he can't wait to. And then there's the after that, after you get through that, there's a long anxiety of like, well, I guess I'm just waiting for these kids to start banging. <laughs> and then there's a fun third period of anxiety where it's like, I guess they have a kid. <laughs> oh, God. I hope they Fucking... don't like accidentally kill it because they suck. It's so clumsy. All the way through. So it does feel like it is the, there, there is like a tension there, but it's like, oh, how badly is this movie going to upset me next? <laughs> it's interesting, too, because when you see other reviews at the time, it's funny that, and kind of gross, that like <laughs> a lot of the reviews at the time say, okay, it's well produced, which I agree with. I think this movie is amazingly shot and the shots. score is is phenomenal it's fantastic the score yeah i love the score is great but then the reviews at the time are basically saying like yes that's true but like it either needs to be more exploitative or like and i'm like no definitely not <laughs> <laughs> like that's not the problem that this isn't nudity enough or erotic enough the problem is that it's like just Bad that and it's boring. Happening and <laughs> shouldn't maybe really be a movie. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like I can see it being a book because I think that you can more delicately explain, uh, you know, the awkwardness and the 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 kind of weirdness of growing up and and you know having these new uh, feelings and uh, funny hairs. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, this movie is just like a big plodding gross awkward mess yeah i think there's there's movies that are coming of age movies about young people that involve their sexuality that are not exploitative and are honest sort of like attempts to understand a confusing and fucked up time in everyone's life but this movie's not doing that <laughs> and all this movie really is doing is having brooke shields and christopher atkins go through very contrived kind of dramatics. Like the idea of this movie being, okay, two young people spend their entire prepubescent and puberty era of their life alone. What's what's going to happen when they don't have the influence of the outside world? And it's like, oh, the same things any other movie would happen. Like they get into an argument and they hate each other and like it's uh, they're keeping secrets from each other. It's like it's so just like what would be in any other sort of movie. It's just had they happen to be on an island. Yeah, I was very <laughs> grateful that they didn't get into some kind of like because of no other influence, like grow up of some kind of weird island speak speak language you know <laughs> i wish <laughs> i really dodged a bullet there i i can't stand that shit <laughs> even if it's likely what would happen i don't know i don't know if you've seen cloud atlas but it's handled really well there yeah like they don't pull off the idea that they would be emotionally stunted they would be stuck in a and they kind of are you know there's elements of like we don't understand this or we don't understand that but they're all so just like surface level there's nothing about this movie that makes me feel like there was any attempt to do like and it's weird because randall kleiser this was apparently like one of his sort of I, i've been wanting to make it forever do a, do another adaptation of this book from fucking like 1908 or some shit it, it doesn't feel like there's any kind of probing or interest it's just like look at the beautiful stuff and they are around it. <laughs> it all just kind of bleeds together as like this big blob of like, I feel awkward and bored all the time. And then there's one part where they were like, hey, if you thought this movie was just inappropriate uh, shots of a 14 year old girl's body, it's also racist. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought they were going to go further into that, like the idea that on the other side of the island there's these like quote unquote savages. I thought that, you know, she's going to get captured. And yeah, I was sure that was going to happen. That that ends up just being like a loose thread where you're like, are we just supposed to like 
I don't know what the fucking message is from no, that. No. Because he just looks, he sees like this tribal uh, sacrifice, I guess, and then he just goes, oh, well, that was weird. <laughs> Time to get back to banging my cousin. <laughs> The screenwriter was the person who wrote The Boy in the Plastic Bubble, and I also thought it was interesting that Richard Franklin was going to be involved and, I guess, helped. He's the Australian director who did, like, Psycho 2 and Cloak and Dagger. Part of me wonders what it would look like if he had ended up directing it. <laughs> Maybe a little more interesting? I don't, I don't know. know. I don't think there's a problem with direction here because it yeah. looks great. Like, you know, there's the movie looks... Very good. Yeah. <laughs> it's competently shot. The score is there. It's just like the subject matter and the script are the problem. You know, and just <laughs> not enough happens. And like the stuff that is happening, you're like, but I don't want to watch this. <laughs> I, I did like their hut was like the best hut ever. Yeah, that was a dope tree for it. <laughs> and I also like the behind-the-scenes story that they discovered an iguana because they filmed it for the first time unbeknownst to them. That That's yeah. pretty awesome. I will say I don't think this movie is as bad as its reputation only because of the idea that it looks amazing and has an amazing score. But it's also rightfully forgotten. <laughs> But it was so big. It's almost $60 million. This thing was huge. Everyone everyone wanted to see the cousins fuck. There was so much mystique and interest around Burke Shields. I mean, is that is that really what it is? It's like you have a really, uh, like in, uh, somebody who's having their moment, and then you put him in a movie where you might see them naked, and then I think that's your thing. I think so. I, I And it's crazy to me because other than a couple things in this movie, like obviously there's some 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 shots of body double nudity and a couple bloody things. But like this movie did feel like borderline children's movie. It did kind of feel like, oh, it's a movie about like discovering sexuality. I could see them showing this to somebody and like so, some bored teacher probably showed this in a sex ed class or something. <laughs> Oh, I hope they cut out the shots of that guy's dong. <laughs> yeah, put your diaper back on. <laughs> yeah, his little diaper. A diaper and a vest. Yeah. It was nominated for an uh, Academy Award and a Razzie for cinematography. Oh, sure. Well, and uh, the raspberry was for Brooke Shields, which I don't think she really deserved. I think she was better than him. Yeah, she was way better than him. There was a couple moments like where she got like a little weird. <laughs> like there's moments where she's kind of poking fun at him, and th there's something oddly compelling about that. I was like, oh, she seems like a 14 year old trying to have fun, but is on an island and doesn't know how. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's a big baby, and she at least seems to be trying to have fun. <laughs> Yeah, I don't think she deserved that. Uh, it feels like another one of those things where the movie is so bad, they've just, like, hung it on the woman. <laughs> like, yeah. he's way worse than her. But he's also kind of more forgettable than her. Like, he's just, like, a whiny little baby. Um, I he's literally not just that read his name, like, two minutes ago, and it's already gone again. I forgot that he was in A Night in Heaven. Have you ever seen that movie? No. It's um it's another very uh weird movie from the 80s. Uh it's directed by John G. Avildsen of Karate Kid. It's about Christopher Atkins who is a stripper. <laughs> and it turns out that like his teacher comes to the strip joint it, and they like put get into this like potential relationship and it's really fucking weird <laughs> is it played for laughs or is it uh it's played partly as like hey flash dance is big so we need like it's the guy version he's a male stripper and it's partly played for like let's get into the politics of this older woman and the younger like and warren i put that movie on once having no idea what it was about so i started being like oh this is just about a kid who goes to school and there's this teacher and what's gonna happen and then i was like oh wait <laughs> so he's a stripper <laughs> is he in high school or college married college professor okay because i was gonna say yeah that's um, a fucking weird movie oh he's in blue lagoon the awakening a 2012 uh, tv movie Oh, does he play? <laughs> does he play this? Does he reprise his role? An old ass version, like <laughs> still wearing a diaper. 
Yeah. <laughs> I need He's diaper. wearing the diaper for, different for a reasons. different reason. Oh, damn it. <laughs> yeah, he plays somebody named Mr. Christensen. Uh, that's that's also crazy to me. They made so many of these movies. <laughs> they made at least three. Well, I remember there was one. Yeah, Mila Jovovich, uh, Return to Blue Lagoon. Yeah, and I remember when that came out because everyone was all like, ooh, another Blue Lagoon movie. Ooh, my stars. Uh, <laughs> and I remember having a crush on her. So I was like, oh, this, this might lead to my sexual awakening. Anyone ever seen the uh, 1949 version? No. I hope it's just as sexy. Yeah. <laughs> well, what what was that movie that you brought up, Greg, while we were watching this Paradise. on stream? Paradise. Yeah, People even Paradise. Seen Paradise. I'd never heard of it. It's the, uh, like, let's sex this whole thing up version. Yeah, it's like it's like the hornier version Super of Super horny. It's, it's so much nudity. It stars Phoebe Cates. Yeah, Willie Ames. And Willie Ames, who was a buddy on Charles in Charge. Charles! I have no idea about any plot points. <laughs> no, that's the thing. I've seen that movie several times because um, it always used to play late night on City TV. And I was always like, thank you. <laughs> I, I have a question about this movie. It, it also takes place in, like, way back when. It takes place in 1823. My question is, why does this genre of movie need to be like, oh, here's a tale I from... any other time period, people would have tried harder to find their kids. Yeah, I guess. Or <laughs> maybe tried even a little bit not to lose them on the fucking boat, because that dad, the dad gives up immediately. It's like, ah, fuck it, they're gone. You would think the 80s idea would be like, let's get the MTV generation, like, alone on an island. What's going to happen? But I think also, I think that when you put it back in like a, a more classic time period, then it also gives your nudie movie an air of um, prestige. Right, right, right. Yeah. So you can be like a booby movie and then also be like, mm, but I'm an artist too. <laughs> yeah, it's a period piece, I see. <laughs> oh. <laughs> hey, this was a period piece. <laughs> I don't like myself. Uh, yeah, that was that was interesting. She discovers her period and he discovers uh, whacking it into the wind. She's <laughs> <laughs> all angry. Just get out of here. <laughs> he is a he's an angry masturbator. I think we can all agree with that. And I yeah. like how she shames him about it, too. That is a memorable shot of him looking back <laughs> over his shoulder. <laughs> Angrily. Get out of here. Get out of here. Give, Give me, me my privacy. privacy. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, if you're going to do that, that's maybe not the place. Don't go up onto a high peak. He was on the highest point of the whole island. Or is that where you want to be? Get some distance. He wanted her to watch. <laughs> I can't finish unless I scream at somebody. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, now I'm interested in seeing Paradise. Yes, though. you are. <laughs> it's a Canadian movie, apparently. Yeah, I mean, what else is there to say about Blue Lagoon? Well, so also the, the Five there's stars. A constant setup where there's going to be tension or something really bad happening, but they let the air out of it immediately. Like you're like, oh no, there's this horrible sacrifice, you know, shit going on over there. Don't worry about it. Not going to happen. Yeah. She steps on a rockfish. Oh man, she's really sick. Don't worry about it. She slipped it off. Yeah, yeah. Is that what would happen? Because those things are quite poisonous. Yeah, no, she should be. They dead. don't just, they don't just make you take a nap. They're covered in mud, having a joyous time with their baby, and they see a boat, and his dad's on the boat, and they're like, "Nah, let's stay here," yeah. knowing that there's the murder party that happens once a month, yeah. right around the corner, and also you have the kid. The kid is you have a there? fucking baby, you dipshit. Christ, you're both gonna die eventually. There's yeah. the, what's the kid gonna do? You That's fucking like assholes. The, the fake sort of drama of the second half is like she's decided she doesn't want to leave, and he's like, "Oh, you didn't get the you didn't get the attention of the boat, you idiot." Yeah. That's like the only time that the movie is trying to get into anything is this idea that like they discover sort of spirituality and she is thinking that the blood on this like stone where somebody's been murdered is like the like the cross and the blood of of Christ and and that and and it's like not interesting at all it's like the the only thing they've decided to flesh out is this this stupid like oh are they going to be spiritual and it's like they pray her to not be sick anymore and it works. It's like, I don't understand what they're trying to get at with any of that stuff. It just doesn't work. Yeah. 
Yeah, they they were not making a solid point one way or the other, except maybe, I guess, that if you get poisoned and you love God, he'll fix you, like, you won't be poisoned anymore? Was that the point? Because I might... I might think about religion if that's yeah. true. But I mean, it's always nice when you know you don't lot. eat the death berries. You drink, you eat the go to sleep berries. Yeah, I need some of those for my family. What a treat! Everything, everything on this island, no, nothing is poisonous. Everything just makes you sleepy for a bit. Yeah. So the end of the movie, they eat these berries. It's going to be a real Romeo and Juliet situation where they get in a boat. First, they aren't watching their kid, and they let their toddler eat a bunch of poisonous berries. And then when they realize that, they're like, "I go up. Oh, guess we're eating them too." And going up. Well, also because they're out lost on a fucking boat because they lost the oars because there was a shark, and now they're just drifting off to sea. Like, how long have you been here? How are you in this scenario? Yeah. For Christ's <laughs> sakes. And uh, yeah, and then they're going to eat the berries too. And I'm watching it like at that point, I was like, fuck this movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I can't watch a kid die for this. Yeah, yeah. This is not worth watching that kid die. <laughs> no, but luckily it just go to sleep berries. So they, yeah. their, their rowboat drifting off to sea just happens to sidle up next to the boat that his dad's on. And everyone's like, don't worry about it. They're asleep. It's like Duke being oh. alive at the end of the G.I. Joe movie. <laughs> Bullshit. <laughs> just one line of ADR. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't worry, she's in a cage. Just woke up. Duke's fine. I don't know what would have been better if it would have been better for them to be dead or not, because a lot of the reviews at the time were like, "Oh, the ending is a cop out." I don't know if they died, then what's the point of the movie? Like, but at the same time, they didn't die, and also, what's the point of the movie? Yes, at least there's that. I don't have to like take home this, you know, horrible experience. I can just be like, "Well, it wasn't very good." <laughs> it's like not them dying wouldn't have turned the movie around for anyone. No one's gonna be like, this movie's like, oh, wait, they're dead? And the baby, too? Oh, this movie's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I uh, forgot to mention William Daniels as the dad uh, from St. Elsewhere and Boy Meets World. There you go. Feeny. Huh. Yeah. So, what did we learn? I learned that if you're gonna masturbate, you gotta get up on the top of a big rock <laughs> and do it off the island. <laughs> I learned that if you don't know if someone's dead, just wait to see if a crab comes out of the mouth. <laughs> then you'll know for sure. I think I learned not to bang my cousin. It yes. seemed like nothing I really like, great. I feel like you might have uh, known that one going in. Well, but, I needed uh... some proof. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things where you think probably that's how it is, but yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you need someone to confirm it. Oh, yeah. don't bang your cousin. Oh, no, it's bad. <laughs> this would be bad. Yeah, that, that's what I thought. That's what I thought. <laughs> Just, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. One other thing I learned is that I just realized now from reading that the 1980 Golden Raspberries, a.k.a. Razzies, it was the first time it ever happened. From the beginning, they were fucking bullshit because, A, Brooke Shields is not the worst thing going in Blue Lagoon. And they had Nancy Allen from Dress to Kill on this list, like... And Shelley Duvall from The Shining as worst actress. Oh, fuck that. Get the fuck out of here. This just sounds like some angry nerd. Fuck, man, yeah. Shelley Duvall's so good in The Shining. Right? She's She plays somebody who's just completely on the verge of crumbling at all times. She's yeah. just like about, she could burst into tears at any moment because she is so shook by her fucking life. And, and she spends the whole movie, like, aptly defending her family from this guy, uh, like herself and her kid, while also falling apart. Like, it's a crazy performance. Yeah, eat shit, Razzies. Go fuck your cousins. <laughs> All right, music time. Yeah. We all pick tunes. They go on a playlist. And I, I believe as of the last episode, we said that uh, anything from 1980 is, is fair game. And then, yeah, so we'll each talk about one song. Uh, that's our pick to talk about for this episode. And uh, that goes on the playlist. We all each then pick additional ones that go on there. To fill it out, to make it a playlist, three-song playlist is bullshit. And there's good stuff there. Casey yeah. threw out some uh, Ride Like the Wind on the, uh, mm. you know, not talked about, but on the uh, list. And that's a that's a fine joint. I, I, I almost would have had it as a talking point one. I love that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, years and years ago, before Athena and I were married, we were just a, a couple out of the town. We got absolutely shit-faced at her apartment one night and decided while watching TV that we should order time life books 
soft rock collection of 10 CDs. That's a good idea. Like, yeah, that's that when you know, that's, that's when you know you have to marry that person. <laughs> Absolutely. If you can share a drunken night of ordering Time Life CDs. <laughs> We're like, we should do this. It's a great idea. And we did it. Babe, come on, babe. Let's turn it up. Like a month later, when 10 soft rock CDs turned up, we were like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, and it was a very good collection. I love me some soft rock. and uh, But Ride Like the Wind was definitely the, uh, the centerpiece. Nice. Yeah, the the playlist will go in the comments on Facebook or responses on Twitter, or you can check the the uh, description in your podcatcher. Well, I, I'll go first because we're on the topic of soft rock. All right. So I am going to talk about a song from an album by Steely Dan. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and so I used to hate steely dan i used to hate steely dan too and you still do and i still do baby yeah and so they had a record in 1980 called gaucho this was after asia from 1977 which was like a huge huge album and they spent a bunch of years working on this album and and i picked a song babylon sisters it's the opening cut and a lot of Steely Dan is very questionable. Um, yeah, I don't songs. mind Steely Dan. I enjoy some of these tunes. I, I, I can't. I love them, very few albums I can get through. Mm, I kind of just will take the greatest hits, and that's it for me. I just like Peg a lot. My my big confession, because uh, a friend of the show, Mark Riley, and I have a good time hating Steely Dan together. Um, it's just one of those fun things. I've always hated Steely Dan, but. I feel like if I was to spend an extended period of time with Steely Dan, I might be like, oh, no. <laughs> oh, I think I like it. Ugh. You might. So Gaucho, like, is their smoothest album ever. <laughs> <laughs> and so... Azure was like, they put a ton into the production of that. And, and the, the kind of... Their career went from being sort of a band to being too two songwriters that use session musicians and push them to their breaking point. <laughs> yeah. And this is the album that like is the peak of that. And part of the reason why I picked this is because there's a really fascinating story behind the record where they pushed a drummer so far to make one of the songs on this record that they, you know, were playing the same song all day, every day for days and they were only they were having everybody play, but they were only going for the drum track. They were just like obsessed over having this perfect drum sound. What they did eventually was um, they a had lot of a, cocaine, a lot of cocaine. And then they had this guy named Roger Nichols, who was like, you know, one of them said, I wish we could get a computer to play like a, a drummer. And this guy was like. Okay. <laughs> he was like, give me like $150,000 and I'll do that for you. And so he went and he made this thing called Wendell, which was this insane drum machine that could yeah. do what a drummer does with different types of hits for like different, you know, not every hit of the hi-hat would be exactly the same. So you wouldn't get ear fatigue. One cymbal crash sound to get that in the machine costs like $12,000 of RAM and he had to like literally program the computer. He would type for like 20 minutes and then press enter and it would like do one symbol. <laughs> <laughs> and they ended up giving Wendell, a, quote unquote Wendell, a platinum record because of it selling a million copies. So like this is insanely produced and it's, I don't go for every Steely Dan song, but there's something about, their stuff that I've I've come around on the smoothness of and yeah I I like the song Babylon Sisters every once in a while I I feel like I heard a similar story with them trying to get the guitar solo for Reeling in the Years oh I bet like they had they had like thirty different people fucking do it or something yeah there was some thing about like oh they had fifty session musicians or something uh, on this record and like like play for the record but there's actually only like fifteen on the album. <laughs> or something crazy like they were insane <laughs> and 
and probably pieces of garbage but <laughs> <laughs> yeah their their lyrical content is very like it's a story yeah. <laughs> and you're like that's still gross but <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh yeah so that's my pick babylon sisters I'll go, I guess. Uh, my song this episode is uh, off of one of my, I'd say, probably top ten albums of all time. Uh, I'm going with uh, track one off that album, uh, Born Under Punches by the Talking Heads of yeah. Remain in Light. Yeah, it's track one. I was kind of struggling to pick a song from this album because I love them all so much. Uh, <clears throat> it's a perfect record. There's no bad song. But Born Under Punches is the beginning, so it's a good place to start. And I remember when I bought this album on cassette because I was already into the talking heads. They're one of the, one of the bands I've been listening, probably the band I've been listening to the longest in my life. So I think I got to stop making sense when I was like 11 or something like that. And I've been a fan since. So I, I bought remain in light on cassette when I was like 18 or some shit like that. It's the height of grunge and junk. And, uh, I remember put, I was sitting somewhere and putting on my headphones and listening to it, drinking a coffee and smoking cigarettes. And I was just, I didn't even know how to listen to it. I was like, I don't know what's happening. <laughs> the rhythm is so crazy and it's so eerie, but funky. And uh, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it absolutely blew my mind. And the lyrics are captivating and confusing and mysterious. It's just, it's really the best of everything. It's a super produced album as well, uh, but in the best kind of way. It's adventurous. It feels really warm, but totally foreign and alien. Like, you know, it's like, it's like these aliens came down and made a, a try, tried to pose as humans making an album about human emotions but it just totally comes across as this weird outsider thing it's really fucked up the <laughs> lyrics are really strange ideas i it's uh, I, I i i i've never slowed down on listening to this album because it's it's uh, constantly fascinating and a song like you know seen and not seen will always be you know bizarre listen for me as i try and you know gather what he wants to say with the lyrics which is so much it's the best but born under punches is just this relentless rhythm that builds and all this great vocal work that uh, you know cascading on top of each other and uh, it's maybe the finest talking heads moment but the first five records are all perfect so but this one uh, it's dark i love the, how dark it is it's a dark record that's really funky <laughs> and i love it dearly Nice. So good. Interesting that you chose a Talking Head song, uh, because so did I. Oh, did you? <laughs> um, but I actually went a little bit more broad and obvious um, for for reasons. So my my song this uh, uh, for this episode is Once in a Lifetime. Oh, no shit. Mm. <laughs> I first heard this song like you know how you have those sort of like for formative moments with uh with songs that kind of like inform who you are as a listener and if you're a musician who you are as a musician hearing elvis costello on saturday night live doing the other side of summer uh where i was like oh this is really catchy and pretty, but it's also making me scared <laughs> um, <laughs> and and feel uneasy and and like there's an odd there's just so many layers going on that were making me feel layers of things. Um, Once in a lifetime is is one of those songs. The first time I heard it, because you know there's there's the whole kind of ideal of like the perfect life you know you you get married you have a house and a car and kids and like this kind of great life kind of thing and you build that all um and and you're never to question it this was the first time i listened to something and i was like oh why are you questioning like don't don't question that that, that like <laughs> you're tearing down the foundation of something i don't even understand yet so uh, uh yeah so so there was something that that made me feel very unsafe but then at the same time it was like this huge dork that was singing it 
and and you, you know against this video because I had actually seen the video even though I didn't I didn't really see a lot of videos at that time um, where I was like oh it's also kind of silly and I enjoy the silliness of it but also there's something underneath that's unsettling as well um, so that that was always something that really like that that really reached me in a very specific way that made me kind of like go oh god you're supposed to question things and I think that that's a really <laughs> important moment for people. And, and then, just very quickly, uh, a couple of weeks ago, or maybe a month or, or more ago, um, David Byrne was on Saturday Night Live uh, with his new stage setup with his Broadway show, um, and they performed the song. Have you guys seen the performance? And I saw that thing when it toured through Toronto. I saw it. Yeah, yeah, you actually saw it live, which I'm I I cannot tell you how envious I am of that because uh, I, I've gone I've since gone back and watched both performances from Saturday Night Live and some other performances of it uh, on YouTube and and it's absolutely captivating. Yeah, it's one of the best but things the, I've ever seen in my life. It, <laughs> I was not prepared. I had no idea that that was what was going to happen. I was like, oh, see David Byrne, he, a lot. He's doing a lot of Talking Heads. That's great. And you know, I just like, kind of thought it'd be a <laughs> band experience but he was like remember when i did stop making sense and i created like the best concert film of all time let's do better than that now <laughs> yeah yeah it was yeah, it, oh, an insane experience insane yeah yeah and like he's got these kind of a, a, a ton of hand uh, percussionists uh you know and a guitarist and a keyboardist um and then just some dancers and everybody's dressed uh in, in these kind of light gray suits everybody kind of and and like barefoot uh and the performance is is itself physically like the the manifestation or representation of what the song is and it's equally as upsetting and it brought me right back to that feeling when i first heard this song uh and i was honestly after like watching it on saturday night live i was in tears by the end of the uh the performance it was uh it blew my mind yeah so that nice yeah opinion. that was an album that when i heard it in like high school i didn't know what to do with it <laughs> i was like i don't understand <laughs> It's like everything else is like a little less bright, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's so good. Um, sweet. So two talking heads, one Steely Dan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and a bunch of other stuff that we'll have in this. Thing. Let's go back to the scary future. Yeah, where everything sucks. But uh, you yeah. don't have to wear pants. Yeah, that's good. The the playlist will be in the notes. You can find it on Facebook and Twitter at Time Bandits Pod or Time Bandits Podcast on Facebook. Uh, we'll be doing this again. We'll probably do another online screening at some point. So check the Facebook if we continue to do those while we're doing this. Why not? Why not? Sweet. Cool. Well, otherwise, everyone stay safe. Okay, yeah. you too. Yeah. Yeah, Dan, why don't you stay safe for once <laughs> in your stupid life? Mm -hmm. I will. All right. <laughs>